um hello everyone welcome to another episode of vichad the official podcast of azadavaz azadavaz is a monthly magazine by the center of new economic studies at op jindal global university the magazine aims to focus on the issues of the marginalized sections of society whose voices are often muted and deliberately silenced azadavaz's previous issues have dealt with problems such as caste class gender and sexual orientation among many others if you are listening for the first time do take a look at our previous work today's episode is the second of a two part issue focusing on environmentalism and climate justice the first issue looked at the problem of environmental casteism and the second is about environmental activism activism policy and justice in this episode we are exploring the conservation strategies for the sundarbans in india We are proud to host Dr. Abhijit Chaudhary as our guest today to speak about this issue. Dr. Abhijit Chaudhary is an associate professor and assistant dean for student affairs at Jindal School of Environment and Sustainability. He completed his graduation in botany and went on to pursue a master's in environmental system management with a special paper on on wildlife conservation from Presidency College, University of Calcutta. He earned his PhD degree from the Indian Institute of Technology, Dhanbad, in environmental sciences. His primary research domains are climate change ecology, coastal conservation planning, mangrove restoration, traditional knowledge, and environmental ge- geochemistry. Over the period of the last thirteen years, Dr. Abhirup is a conservation as a conservation enthusiast has explored different biodiversity-rich areas and mine sites across India, especially the Sundarbans. Good afternoon, Professor. Thank you for being here today. Um, our first question to start off is: Could you please tell us about Sundarbans, Sundarbans ecosystem, how it is unique, and why it is important for India's ecosystem and the environment as a whole? Definitely. Thank you, Tarini, for this uh, very interesting initiative, and it is a very timely initiative if we look into the socio-political situation of our country and the international global sphere. so yeah i have worked in sundarban for a long time now i'm i'm uh, associated with uh, local communities of sundarban and motivating them to conserve the unique uh, biodiversity of the region now let me talk a little about what is sundarban as you asked uh, so uh, in order to understand sundarban first you have to understand the gangetic delta because uh, sundarban is uh, formed in the gangetic delta basin it is the it is world's largest delta that is formed by ganga brahmaputra and meghna river systems uh, it is supposed to be very fertile it is one of the most fertile region of the globe and also densely populated because we can understand that the density of population both in bangladesh and the adjoining state of west bengal in india which both have a very high population uh, density because of the fertility of the land and now in the same area we also get uh, a very unique ecosystem this ecosystem is formed in the new islands so if i if we talk about what is the delta that we will say we will understand that sundarban or uh, indo gangetic delta is a very newly formed delta this islands are still forming in the stage of formation as the depositions are still going on very new delta so uh, way back this whole area was under mangrove forest now first of all you have to understand what is a mangrove mangrove are a very unique kind of plant groups that can survive in a very saline condition meaning if the salt is very high in the soil generally what we know if the soil is saturated with the soil salts uh, plants cannot grow there because they cannot survive but these are a uh, plant group that has normal adaptations to grow in this area proliferate in this area and survive luxuriantly so they are surviving in this area for a long time and if we look into the history of sundarban we'll see that uh, human habitation in sundarban is quite late it is not like other parts of india it has uh, started even as late as 1903 when uh, dr hamil uh, daniel hamilton has started the cooperative movement in the goshaba region of sundarban before that all of this area was covered by mangroves it is the home of enigmatic the sundarban tigers which is uh, with same species as the royal bengal tiger the only difference is their habitat uh, is sundarban so they know how to swim very well they can climb trees and there are lots of instances of man wildlife conflict in this region so two things we have to understand whenever we want to understand about sundarban one 
is that uh, this area is unique. It is very important because mangroves protect the coastline from natural disaster. It is a proven scientific fact. There are lots of articles regarding this and everybody who works in mangrove like myself, I have seen that in front of my eyes that how it saves the coastal areas from devastating cyclones. Like recently there is cyclone Yash that has hit this area. Just one year back, it's Amphan. In 2009, it was Ayla. So these are series of cyclones that hit this area because of climate change problems, which is increasing the number of cyclones in this region. So uh, as for Sundarbans, uh, this mangrove forest acts as a natural barrier. It's, uh, it generally do not let the devastation go out of hand. It protects the coastline uh, because of its unique root system that can consolidate the soil masses. Now come down to as uh, the most important focus of the discussion is the marginalized community. I'll, I'll quickly go down to that. Now, first of all, we have to understand something. There is no native population of Sundarbans, very unlikely than other parts. In every part you go, like uh, be it Jharkhand, I worked in Jharkhand, I worked in Kutch, uh, I have worked in uh, different uh, mine areas of Singrauli and uh, southern India. Wherever you go, there's a native population who are really living in that land for a long period of time. When we come down to Sundarban, this concept totally abrogated because there is no native population of Sundarban. The native population of Sundarban is actually the wildlife, the tigers, the plants that used to be there. So in 1903, when the colonization spree started, obviously British India only concern was to get more and more output from the land. In that case, our colonized India. And they found Sundarban to be a very lucrative way to extract the resources out because it is a forested area. It has lots of tigers. Tigers have a little, really sells well in the European market during that time. So they find this as a very interesting lucrative business. So they started uh, making other people from different parts of India move down, colonize this region. So now what happened in from 1903 to 1950s, we have seen... Uh, progressively the islands of Sundarban getting cleared of their natural mangrove habitation and uh, people flocked in from different part of the uh, part of India and also other parts like Barma also. So what happened? All these people used to come in. They are mostly shipped in by the British colonizers so that they can stay in this land and uh, live in this very inhabitable condition because Sundarban's conditions were not very habitable. To give a small outlook of it, I'll give you a very interesting uh, fact that uh, when I was working there in 2012, till then there was no electric electricity in most of the parts of Sundarban. Only in 2016-17, slowly the electricity has come. So you can imagine development has reached quite late in that area. And so people who stays or survives in this area have very little uh, access to basic amenities, be it uh, uh, medical facilities or be it other facilities, they are really marginalized. So who are these people? These people have come from different parts of India, like uh, they are tribals who have come from uh, Jharkhand, uh, the whole Chotanagpur Basin. There are people who have uh, migrated from different parts of Bengal into those areas. And also after partition, lots of people have come from the Bangladesh when the division has happened and people have to leave their home and resources in Bangladesh and move down to our country. So this is the brief history of Sundarman, what we now see as of now. Uh, it, uh, now there are lots of conservation strategies because conservation strategies has only come up after independence and after the very flagship of important act that uh, has come down, that the Wildlife Protection Act in 1972. That is the first uh, umbrella act that has put the concept of conservation and wildlife conservation into the notion of Indian system. So only after 1972, something started to be done in order to protect this habitat. Because by then, everybody was uh, aware that if we keep on going like that, not only we are going to lose the Sundarban ecosystem, which is very unique. Why it is unique? It is the world's largest contiguous mangrove patch. So technically, Indonesia is a country that has the largest mangrove, but in scattered islands. But in, uh, in India and Bangladesh has the Indian, this Sundarban ecosystem, which is a contiguous mangrove patch. It starts from almost from the, uh, the uh, Hooghly estuary basin and ends up till the Pad Padma River. And 60% of this land is in uh, Bangladesh, 40% is with India. So we shared this resource with Bangladesh, our neighboring country. So by the 1970s, it is quite clear that something needs to be done. Otherwise, we are going to lose this area. and 
So we are not only going to lose this area in terms of biodiversity, we are also going to lose the fertility of this area because without the mangroves to protect the sea waves, protect the areas from the sea waves or the salinity intrusion, the soil, soil will get more and more saline day by day. And ultimately, end of the day, after some time, it will be totally rendered unproductive. That is happening right now in many parts of Bangladesh. So uh, with that in mind, and with the, obviously, in the ages of the Wildlife Protection Act, uh, first, the uh, Sundarban conservation plans have come into being. So first, it was, uh, it was turned into, uh, by, uh, into a tiger reserve that is in 1973. Then after, after that, around uh, 1976, the uh, Sundarban crocodile project has started because during that time, uh, the people can understand the importance of keystone species the important species that have a monumental role in the ecosystem. So the in order to protect the crocodile, Sundarban Crocodile Pro Project has started in Bhagavatpur uh, in 1976. And uh, immediately after that, there is an establishment of wildlife sanctuary of Halite Island, Lothian, and Sojinikali around 1976-1977. And uh, of which the central part has been designated as a core area as national park. It has an area of 1,700 square kilometers. So eventually, it was recognized as a World Heritage Site in 1987, and later it was turned into a Biosphere Reserve in 1989. And now, very recently, in 2019 February, Sundarban area is also been designated as the 27th Ramsar Wetland Conservation Site of India, which is also the largest conservation Ramsar Wetland Conservation Site in India right now. It has the highest area. So we can see this uh, chronological history only focus on one thing. Progressively, conservation laws are getting stricter and stricter in this area in order to protect this very uh, unique habitat since 1972 onwards till now. Now the outlook that comes up that uh, how the conservations are going on uh, in this particular area. Then the, the problem that has already been created is the uh, destruction of the forest resources and the colonization of the people who are staying in this area. Now, uh, Sundarban, this whole area has a population of around 4.6 million, though it is not uh, exactly the case, but the recent census actually uh, give a report like 4.6. So 4.6 million people reside in this area. It is not possible for anyone to tell them to leave this land so that it can be again turned into mangrove system, which ideally as a ecologist, I should be, pro I, I should be promoting that. So it is not possible. It is a place where human and wildlife should exist together. There's the only way how to protect this ecosystem. We cannot protect this ecosystem totally as a uh, separative unit, because if we do that, what generally happens that uh, the local population, first of all, they are not a native of Sundarbans. We have to understand. In case of Sundarban, there is no native population. They're all from different parts of India who have living in this area for 50 years or two generations, three generations, something like that. So they, you cannot do any conservation putting them out of the picture. That is also the same process has been uh, used in other part of the conservation, in other parts of India also. We call it joint forest management, participatory forest management, where the local community take part in the conservation venture. So in Sundarban, it is the same. Only difference that comes up that uh, according to the recent amendment of the Wildlife Protection Act bill, that is the FRA, Forest Right Act, according to Forest Right Act, nobody has actually much right in Sundarban because they cannot prove that they are staying in this area for a long period of time. Because they have come from a different parts of, the, of India uh, about a century back. So if somebody asks them that you have to prove that you are staying in this area for 200 years or you have a generational lineage in this area, they cannot prove that. So that's why FRA is not that much useful in the context of Sundarban, why it is also very unique. But, uh, but on the other way around, all the conservators or all the uh, uh, policy makers who pray, formulate policy for Sundarban protection, they know the importance of the community participation. So most of the conservation is actually done alongside the human population. So that is a good news. Now I'll go into some detail about what goes wrong and what goes right because whenever anybody tries to take a right step some problem always comes along it is a very normal that is a that is a difference between policy making bench and what reality happens in the field as a, a conservation ecologist myself i've seen that lots of times so i will ponder on that but before that i will ask you if you have any specific question on that. 
yeah the question is they can't um, they can't prove their native to the land difficult paperwork is that why right yeah not only paperwork but if we if we look into it in a very rational colonization of when they come to the land we'll see that they actually have come to the land uh, very recently like uh, there is no native population of sundarban like uh, when we go for other forest area for, for example in chatisgarh let's say and dandakaran the dandakaran mm-hmm. when the whenever conservation plans were made the local population like coal wheels were living in that area for a long period of time generationally living in that area they should be given the forest right right according to fra act but in case of sundarban this get a little complicated because these people are not native to the sundarban uh, long time back even in the mughal period this whole area was only under forest cover everything was under forest only uh, only uh, living creature who stays in this area are the tigers crocodiles and different biodiversity there is no human population as of that okay so people used to avoid that area because it is very difficult to colonize and that's the very interesting historical fact uh, nobody wanted to go to that area willingly yeah it is not like uh, they want to uh, migrate for example say there is a new mining town has uh, set up in uh, jharkhand that that we have seen during the time of chotanagpur exploitation the new mining has started up so the people from different parts flocked there to work as labor to work uh, to get live, uh, livelihood employment but in case of sundarban everybody avoided it because uh, first of all you get lots of problems uh, it is a mal- malaria infected uh, infested region during yeah. that time there was no uh, available uh, medicine for that particular disease but you secondly yeah they are forced to go almost literally the colonial british have almost four there is lots of beautiful writing on that i can quote one of them that, that is a there is a very beautiful writing by anuj lais who is mm-hmm. who has written about the tigers and the and how tigers and mythology shaped the shaped sundarban so we can read it from there also that yeah. they it is not that they willingly has gone to that area they are shipped to this area literally they have to go okay so uh, this incident we have again saw recurrence um, uh, in the morichapi institute uh, incident that has happened but when uh, what happened when the partition has uh, has taken place and a lot of people has come down from bangladesh so they firstly they were made to settle in different part of india mostly in chatisgarh but chatisgarh environment is totally different than that of bangladesh bangladesh is a tropical region very similar to sundarbans almost same uh, ecological and environmental conditions so they cannot survive there so they have come down into the uh, morichapi region which is in the jilda which is a protected uh, area very near to the sovnekali sanctuary they started to colonize there cutting down the forest and all and then a huge repercussion happened and the local government during that time in west bengal may force them to leave that area because that area during that time is already been designated as a a uh, sanctuary and a uh, conservation spot so it cannot be cleared up so uh, this kind of situation we have seen that when people are forced to come into sundarban and settle so now if i go to sundarban different parts of sundarban we can see different type uh, people coming having lineages from different areas of india some have come from uh, parts of bangladesh rajshahi sillet kitagong some uh, some has their uh, come from the just a neighboring district of midnapur lots of people from midnapur has settled down in the area their generation their, their great grandfather has come down and settled there are people who have come down from jharkhand so there is a pretty uh, good number of uh, population this uh, santal and pool and wheel population also in sundarban who has come who has their root actually in the chotanagpur plateau so in sundarban people generally are not native to that so whenever documentation is required there is a problem they cannot show their documentation that they are living in the area but on the good news on the side is that whatever area is now under forest that area do not have any human population so it is we have to understand it is like a delta so just a side of the river human settlements are there on the other side of the river there is total forest because there is a clear separation there is a clear separation okay. in sundarban so yeah. there is not any kind of policy conflict as of that in sundarban there are other problems okay. that goes on it's not like region. people versus environment you can you can no, conserve no 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 they, they are actually very yeah. much pro environment and they they are actually the education level in this area is very high so people yeah. know if they protect mangroves it will protect them but every year they have to face disasters 
just a few uh, one on or two months back this yas cyclone has devastated uh, i mean tracts of land in sundarban yes. even for two months it was underwater even now some area was underwater yeah speaking of works um i read the hungry tide by amitav ghosh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and that displays it very well um so um yeah so the next question is um i think you've already spoken about it but i think it would it would help if we focus a little more is what are the unique challenges that occur in the sundarban region in terms of pollution climate change and natural disasters so very interesting question and very pertinent question also so uh, as a um, as a mangrove ecologist myself uh, sundarban you can say it is a experimental plot for all uh, climate change ecologists why because uh, first of all this area has uh, when we study climate change generally we take indicators it's very difficult to uh, view climate change in a, a totality because uh, the variables uh, scientifically are not very easily connectable so in case of sundarban one very interesting variable is present that is the salinity so what happened there is a uh, there is a fresh water flow from the ganges river system coming down into bay of bengal and there is a tidal flow from bay of bengal into the uh, inner part of the delta so this balance is there so climate change and sea level rise means this balance will be hampered so what we can see we can see the water is getting more and more saline because saline, saline water means more sea water is coming in but there is a less influx of the fresh water from the ganges river system exactly this happens in sundarban i myself have worked in one area it is published in a very uh, uh, good uh, in, interesting journal i mean it is uh, indexed in both web of science and scoopers uh, so i have uh, worked in area for some 10 years to find out whether there is a change in the salinity gradient or not and there is a change so what is happening day by day the fresh water coming down from the river systems in this case ganges brahmaputra and meghna so these three river systems uh, fresh water flow is decreasing on the other way around sea is pushing in to the inner estuary so this is destabilizing the ecosystem to a great extent so it's a fast problem that is faced by the sundarban uh, as of now next problem that comes up is the increased cyclones like i am working in this area for uh, some now 15 years i can tell you uh, when we are used to work in 2005 7 9 this time frame this many cyclones never come up maybe there is one cyclone every two or three years now every year this area is getting devastated by cyclone and most of the cyclones are very powerful cyclones they are either super cyclones or severe cyclones so uh, this year it is yash it is a severe cyclone that has hit the area just previous year it was a super cyclone uh, which is amphan just the previous year in 2018 or 19 i think it is bulbul before that is ayla consecutively now this area is getting ravaged by cyclones and if you see climate change hypothesis one of the foremost hypothesis is that with climate change the first thing that will we are going to see is wet will get wetter dry will get drier this is one of the hypothesis so climate change will make a place that is having a more rainfall get even more rainfall so now we are getting floods everywhere right so and the area that is a drought prone for example sahel region of africa we are get, uh, going to get more droughts more dry and uh, temperature rise and more dry weather so, so exactly that exactly yeah. that is how the climate change model uh, hypothesis goes on and exactly it is happening in sundarban i have seen this area getting every year now getting hit by cyclones people getting displaced we have to understand these are marginalized people they are not very rich people uh, because uh, sundarban is not a very productive land even yeah. agriculture though it is a delta uh, still this land is only one time uh, crop one time crop at max two time subsistence agriculture right very very and marginalized yeah. agriculture also because yeah. uh, the farmers there uh, they have very small tracts of land so right. the history goes back a lot when uh, daniel hamilton has come to the area and how he has Uh, started cooperative farming movement but mostly this area they have very small land holdings so these land holdings uh, are not enough for them to sell their product and get a profit out of it they can only maintain their own family like you are producing a rice the rice will going to feed the family for about a year yeah. now if there is a cyclone like that that devastated the whole crop system and uh, so now for one year they don't have any food so what happens they started migrating out so that trend i have seen when i was working in sundarban during the time of 
9, 10, 11, 12, this whole three or four years. So 2009 is Isla. Isla cyclone hit and most of the area got underwater. Salt water, salt water means that area will not going to have productivity for a long period of time, at least one or two years. So the people started uh, becoming temporary migrants. For the whole summer months, they started migrating into different parts of India as labor, mostly in Kerala, because Kerala's labor rates are very high. Again, they come back when the sowing season comes, when the rice sowing season starts and they have to sow the crop again. And after that, they again migrate back. So now we are getting a population which is constantly migrating from one place to another. So Sundarban has become only a kind of uh, very distant home for them, but not actually a place which supports employment because uh, agriculture, labor, um, there are lots of economic problems in this area. This is the first thing. Next thing, this exact problem is also a very big constraint to conservation. Now how it is? Now we have to understand um, from a the common man's perspective. Let's not um, uh, behave like an environmentalist or a scientist. Let's look into from their end. So imagine in a COVID crisis, uh, migrant labor has to come back because there is no other option. So they haven't got any pay. They have to sustain now in that. What is the best process by which a, but a local can get money? One of the best processes is enter into the forest kill a tiger, a tiger sells at least 12 to 15 lakhs rupees in the market that I am getting, in the black giving market, you a black market. Yeah. I am giving you a quote that has been published in a, a particular uh, article some uh, um, some 10 years back. There is a, someone has done this study in Bangladesh part of the Sundarban and they try to find out how much uh, money is actually uh, they get when they sell. Okay. okay, so okay, so now what happened? So this is uh, so it may be the case that a person do not want to do that. Why they don't want to do that? Not only because of the policies. Obviously, it's a conserved area. If you do, if you are uh, caught uh, killing a tiger, it is it's an unbelievable offense. You can end up in jail. Okay, but on the other way around, uh, they are also going to face a lot of life issues. There is a concept in Sundarban called tiger widows. If you search it in the Google, it will come up. There is, a, there is villages in Sundarban where there is oh. no male member. So all the male members are actually killed by tiger attacks. While trying to Exactly. Hunt them, right? And what happened? Yeah. Uh, and they know there is a lot of life risk. And Sundarban tigers are very ferocious. It's not like other parts of India. Because uh, Sundarban tigers are also stressed tigers. They, they do not get water that much. It's all the waters are saline. So they are very stressed. And if anybody transgets into their land, definitely they will see them as a prey. As a prey. Okay. So that is the main concept. So a person who is entering into the forest to hunt, it, they are not doing it because they want to do it, because they do not have any other option. And the black market is available. They can sell it. There is, they, can, they have a huge market in China, uh, and this thing goes through Burma. They can easily get, tra traffic it out to China and can be sold in the market. So this is one of the greatest concern of conservation right now. And I think the COVID is making it worse, can make it worse. Yeah, so my next question is regarding this. Um, could you tell us about like the harms which um, which these people living there face and um, in terms of like how they respond to these ecological crises? And, yeah, definitely. And mm -hmm. the state support to these conditions as well. Okay. So, uh, first of all, uh, what kind of problem they face? Uh, we have to understand that uh, fairly now the situation is a little di different. Now, recently, one or two years, uh, when the COVID crisis has come up. Before that, uh, when world was going in its normal pace, there is no COVID, everything is going in a normal way. People think very less about this people area. This is a very remote area, uh, almost forgotten. Some yeah. people stay in this area. Uh, everybody knows that it is, it is densely uh, populated, but uh, nobody much care about this uh, region. They only know that uh, Sundarbans uh, equates to two or three things. One is the tigers, next is the crocodiles, and uh, third, uh, border with Bangladesh, don't go there. So that is the main idea people have. So the people who are living in this area, they are getting this feeling for a long period of time. It is my belief. I'm giving you my opinion that I, because I have worked in, with the community for a long time now. 
So uh, they know that the people come as tourists for some time in the winter months and they will go away. Their situation will remain the same. Uh, as for the disasters, uh, Sundarban uh, people who are residing in Sundarban, uh, they are not new to the disasters. First of all, this thing we have to understand. The disasters have happened before also. Uh, there is a series of events uh, during the generational time when the cyclones have happened, people, uh, places got flooded. They manage it themselves most of the time because during, if I talk about 20 years back from the line, there is very little support they actually get from the policymakers. Uh, now the situation has changed a little. So how it has changed? First of all, disasters have increased in frequency. So previously, there may be one cyclone every two or three years, so it's still manageable. People can go back, uh, come back to their feet, start some employment, uh, things can go follow up proper route. In nowadays, what is happening almost every year, it is all periodically, almost it can be predicted. Like from now, I can predict there would be another disaster in uh, between March to July 2022, and it will happen. So uh, it, it has become so predictable. The cyclones and all these things are very predictable and it is devastating the land. But the problem is remaining the same because 4.6 million people cannot be evacuated from a region entirely. It is not feasibly possible. Like if, even when we know a cyclone is coming and going to hit this area, you cannot uh, possibly evacuate 4.6 million people from one area to some area that do not have a cyclone uh, damage. It is not possible. So yeah. all the time, every time they have to face the brunt of the disaster. So policymakers support, like for example, there are lots of support that has been given uh, in terms of uh, relief funds, immediately relief started uh, flooding in. Uh, yes, the many states have been taken so that the vulnerable population are get support from the government, which takes some time to reach them because of the bureaucratic uh, uh, steps that is already present in the governmental structures. Yeah. But but it do reach them. Like still, the people are getting the ILA rice, the rice one one rupee rice, the one uh, one ru rupee per kg rice that has been distributed to the people as a ILA relief. ILA has happened in something around. I think in 2009 it happened. So now also this uh, relief fund is going on. So sometimes it gets delayed, but things do come to them. But the problem that come up, that every time knowing that your land is going to be get washed down by a cyclone and living in that fear itself is, is a very psychological uh, impinging Trauma. act for all the community. Yeah. So they do not rely on the particular area for a long period of time. They started thinking that, well, uh, I may spend most of my time um, uh, irrigating this land, but if there is a cyclone, this all things is going to wash up. So it's better one member of my family should go out and work in some other place. So at least right. some kind of money security will come up. That's a one problem. Second problem that they face, there is a huge dearth of liquid cash. Now, we have to understand, in case of Sundarbans, first of all, it's a very small land holding that we already mentioned. And next is, uh, liquid cash reserves are very low to the people. They may have land, but if there is a crisis, somebody got hurt, immediately had to rush down to a hospital, you need to shed down some 50,000 rupees. They don't have that. Uh, they cannot shed that money. So, yeah. And another is that transportation is extremely difficult. Like if there is a cyclone, you can literally say the, the transportation totally halts down for a month till the problem resides because these areas are not totally stranded. They sort get totally stranded. This and is we a can't reach them by helicopters so or anything. We, we can reach them by helicopter. But again, we have to see 4.6 billion people by right. helicopter is not possible to reach. Yeah. So it is technically not possible. Not only that. Uh, it is uh, sometimes all obviously people do criticize the policymakers that why they cannot reach. But we have to understand that this is not possible also. I mean, you are reaching and uh, Sundarban is a big area. It, it has something around 10,000 square kilometer land uh, in Indian part. So now there is some area that is very near to the Bangladesh border is very remote. So now going to that land, distributing the relief, it is always a challenge, first of all. Next is uh, identifying the vulnerable population. Who are vulnerable population actually? Very difficult to understand. If you see all the people who are staying in Sundarban are vulnerable, but their vulnerability differs. A person right. may stay in Sundarban, their land and uh, resources may have washed down by flood. 
normally like others but that person works as a headmaster in a primary school that person is less vulnerable than a popular a person whose only uh, mode of income is that land that is father yeah and then you have in like um, other things like caste and class and gender which play a role yeah though in sundarbans i will uh, give a little different outlook in certain part of sundarbans in, particularly in gosaba and the very near to the bangladesh border the areas uh, the people who has come to these areas they are mostly ostracized part of the society from the start they are okay. the part of the society that do not get any kind of support in other parts so uh, the only option they saw is and because of their forced also to come and migrate to this area yeah. so we find a very unique blend of islamic and hindu cultures in this mm-hmm. the example is the bone bibi so like uh, if you see one of the greatest deity of sundarban people is bone bibi so uh, bone bibi is a deity that they pray before going into the forest to uh, fish or take uh, npfp non timber forest products so you will get this uh, small small temple of bone bibi almost every corner of sundarbans and they and, and this term itself bone bibi this itself is a mixture of two faiths like the hindu faith that believe in idolatry and a muslim faith that believes that uh, no uh, idolatry should not be there so in sundarban this harmony is always there and now what harmonizes them if i ask this question the answer will come up the the problems they face in the land when our land is flooded then you cannot actually discriminate between who is upper caste who is lower caste who is different religion uh, everybody works together everybody works together to mend the uh, dams the urban dams that get breached every time there was a disaster that this uh, flood water comes in so a hindu a muslim a lower caste upper caste everybody will come down to mend that uh, dam because they know if they don't do this their land is also going to get flooded so disaster also acts as a kind of glue in order to glue this society together and i find because i have worked in different parts of india uh, regarding conservation pollution issues uh, i find sundarban people very much like uh, uh, this uh, gender their gender discrimination caste discrimination or religion discrimination is very limited in this area uh, even the schools in the schools in this area are quiet because schools are very limited in this region very okay. less schools are there so that school should take uh, so both male and female actually get the avail the facility of the same school uh, government schools so there there is this kind of so adversities also bring the uh, population together and yeah. make them work together that that i have seen that's fascinating um okay so looking at this and previously you mentioned that um the covid um crisis and the isolation which everybody's in and the financial um setback which everyone is facing has just worsened the problem within um of the pe- of the people living there right um so what are the policies at place and for the future to tackle these and as a conservation strategist yourself what do you think is the um the future path which we must take yeah so uh, this is a very interesting outlook so see everybody is in a dilemma right now like uh, this uh, covid pandemic uh, hit us like a sudden event nobody was prepared uh, in all the spheres uh, in health sector in the conservation sector everybody uh, is totally unprepared for this particular damage that has happened but it is a huge damage so how it is a huge damage we can see if we see the conservation strategies in india development of conservation strategy in india from 1940s onwards till now we see progressively the processes are going towards participatory uh, process uh, during 1980s and 1990s uh, there are many like arabadi um, experiment was there which is very successful where people get to know that if we involve local community the conservation always works well and it has worked well in other part of the world also if we see africa we if we see latin america wherever community participation is there conservation has a better result then uh, when they are excluded out so uh, policies are going in that direction for a time now one of the output of this policy now how a local community can benefit from the conservation one of the great benefit is the eco tourism so many tourists come into the area uh, in sundarban where they are going to stay they are going to stay in the local people's uh, either 
uh, land or uh, they will build some hotels or something where they will stay and who would be the guide they will be the local people itself they they know the land better than anyone so obviously they are going to be the guide so indirectly it is a source of income that uh, fuels the the uh, ecotourism and also in uh, also directly helps the conservation because now the people know in order for the ecotourists to flock down into sundarban tigers need to be there at least tigers needs to be conserved in the mangrove forest of sundarban so they won't harm fish exactly because mm. they know that uh, hunting is first of all unsustainable next it has lots of uh, uh, i mean life risks okay many people die doing that uh, third is if you get caught it is a inviolable offense because it's a tiger project you cannot hunt tigers it is a very punishable offense as uh, fourth point is they generally do not get that money that they deserve with all this uh, efforts they take because there are lots of uh, third line market black marketers that are involved so they get a very meager sum maybe so nobody willingly want to go and hunt a tiger it is far more dangerous particularly in sundarban uh, so uh, but ecotourism is a better option now anybody can be a ecotourist they can uh, take the people in nearby area they help them and they can earn quite substantial amount of money due to uh, ecotourism and indirectly they not only view conservation as something they need to do or compulsory but it is also something they, they should do in order to maintain their livelihood so indirectly their participation is automatically ensured by this process now come covid with covid what happened all the ecotourism almost freezed up okay uh, people cannot migrate uh, from other parts the tourists cannot come down to sundarban to visit because all this uh, vaccination and uh, second wave third wave all these problems bands, are there yeah exactly and also the the transportation transportation yeah. has been truncated uh, uh, so now what is happening yeah. cyclones are coming cyclones are almost like uh, in uh, sundarban the tourist uh, tourism tourism time is mostly in winter time right. when the weather is uh, favorable for them to come but uh, this winter it is totally dry, like uh, in terms of ecotourism it has dropped there is no influx of tourists because it is totally closed people but, don't uh, venture hmm. out much okay so so that means the liquid cash that is coming from the ecotourism source the community is losing that right right so something need to be done to compensate if we want to look into conservation and that conservation should go in a nice way but what about the environment conservation because i mean tourists bring money but they also bring pollution right that is a very interesting uh, in sundarban uh, tourists cannot enter into the national park i mean uh, they cannot enter they only visit peripheral regions uh, under strict guidance of the local uh, but, um, i mean guides so they have to ensure that the plastic is not uh, going to be dumped in the river yeah. if some uh, someone is dumping it the conservation officers are going to seize that boat in which the tourists are traveling so whenever you go into the sundarban uh, or uh, got into any boat and trying to go for a safari around mm. the sundarban mangrove they will themselves going to stop you from throwing things out because they know they are the one who is going to be get because tourists uh, nobody is going to caught the caught the tourists yeah. they will go they will take a flight they will go away but they are going to uh, find that they will going to find this particular boat members boat uh, the one who has a licenses so uh, it for that they generally also are very careful that this kind of thing do not happen you cannot harm a, a particular uh, a live a living being in in the forest like i remember i can share in my own experience i am a when i started my work uh, as a masters uh, student when i was uh, pursuing my msc in presidency and i gone to sundarban as a uh, tourist and uh, as a kind of uh, tourist come uh yeah, intern i was working in that area so uh, i told one of the local people that i want to go into the forest and uh, look into tigers they are really angry they say you cannot use utter the term tiger before entering into the forest because there is a taboo behind that there is a religious and mythical taboo bone bb and dakinra right, so this right, right, right. is there so uh, they say that you cannot do anything and you should not harm any creature not even a uh, monkey even when i was there to feed the monkeys they themselves told me don't do that uh, the, the monkey can get sick you people bring things from the town so mm. these people are very cautious they know and one of the reason of this caution is uh, very monetary uh, because uh, they know if something happens to sundarbans there are a huge source of liquid cash income will go away which is now totally absent 
Now that is something as a conservation biologist, this, this uh, really troubles me. First yeah. of all, these cyclones, which is destroying their livelihood. Second is a really truncated ecotourism because of that pandemic. And third and most important, they cannot migrate out because uh, migration, labor migration is also now a little less because of the COVID crisis and whatever they have faced during the COVID yeah, when so they are returning back to their country. So, so you're really trapped from all sides, right? There's no... Yeah. yeah. Now, when somebody is trapped, they will always go for, it is my uh, opinion, they always go for the easy solution out. And the easy solution out is always vent out or uh, exploit the forest resources that are around. Right. And That's a simple in this case, thing. So, it's killing tigers. It is, it is killing tigers. It is killing tigers. It is uh, hunting down uh, uh, or cutting down forests, reclaiming yeah. lands. Yeah. Uh, all the things goes aquaculture farms that is a, that is a kind of uh, what should i say it is a disease for that particular conservation aquaculture farms are coming up everywhere it destroys the geological structure it destroys the uh, particular uh, ecosystem but it also gives lots of money because uh, prawns and uh, shrimp prawns and different uh, fishes sell very well in the market yeah. uh, so there are tracks in Sundarban, like for example, nor, uh, Northern Chobishwe Parganas, there is a, there is a Hingolganj and Sandeshkali blocks that has been ravaged by uh, this uh, aquaculture farms. They are everywhere and very difficult for the uh, particular mangroves to come back. And third and most important, fourth and most important point, uh, now people can understand, including the policymakers, the importance of protecting the Ardenba. So what happens in Sundarban, so sorry, the land- Arden banks, the Arden banks. banks. Okay, maybe okay. yeah. So it is called bands. So what happens that uh, during tide, there is uh, this whole area is uh, have a diurnal tide regime, meaning the two times the a day they get a high tide. During the high tide, the land, the sea surface is above the land surface. So they need to protect this by Arden banks. This are uh, this is Arden, right? So whenever there is a cyclone, it got breached and all the water rushes. Right. inundating everything up. So now there is a call to concrete, uh, to make this a concrete bunt. But again, concrete bunt is not sustainable because erosions are going on. If the lower uh, soil surface get eroded up, the concrete bunt will just collapse down. First problem. Next problem is uh, only thing by which this can be managed is a vegetative method, meaning mangroves have to come back because that is their job. They're doing it for centuries. Uh, none of the Sundarban Island got underwater in 19, 18th century or 19th century. Uh, none, nothing happened because they are doing their job pretty well. That is, that is why they are adapted to do. They are supposed to consolidate the soil mass and stop the vagaries of the cyclone. So now people are looking into uh, uh, vegetating mangroves in their banks. So it is a very interesting step. So they are doing it in order to protect their land from the cyclone. That Now they know if the cyclone is going to come almost every year. And governments are supporting it. There is a huge project that has been just launched uh, after Yash, which is uh, trying to revegetate almost whole of Sundarban uh, Arden Bank system. So if it is really successfully done, uh, then it is a, a miraculous uh, result. It can really protect the environment for a long period of time and become sustainable. And we will get a community participation in it. That's great. That's good then. But, um, but again, it will take time. It will get time yeah. uh, for everybody to come in the plate and do the work to identify the technologies. We are also working on some of the technologies that can make it happen. Right. Uh, like, uh, like successfully, definitely, this is a good direction, a movement towards a good direction. Right. So, okay, so the, the state is sponsored, like from my understanding, the state is sponsoring these development programs and these conservation programs um, and funding maybe think tanks or so on who are working on this, right? Um, but what are the other ways the state can help? Like, is there, is there a requirement to change any law? Is there a requirement to give more funding directly to the people? Um, is there need for some other infrastructure um, immediately to be developed within the region um, to help these people, especially now, is, is it possible for the state to give um, siphons, um, like cap, uh, aid packages or um, any grants? I understand. Yeah. 
financially so uh, yeah so financially uh, every time the disaster management fund is there so whenever there is a disaster the relief comes in pouring in into the area which is distributed to the people but uh, as a uh, the people who work in field like myself we can understand very well the reliefs are very temporary right uh, you are giving somebody not sustainable you are giving yeah. somebody two kgs of rice for say one month so what will happen after one month what what that guy is going to do yeah so uh, that's a problem that is actually faced so uh, there is a serious need of uh, of uh, engaging the population into some green livelihood ventures now green livelihood is gaining popularity everywhere like uh, if if i give a example of northern part of the same state west bengal uh, where there are tea gardens vermi composts are actually very in demand because uh, now organic tea is in uh, great demand organic certification means that everything from the start to the end should be totally organic there should not be use of any chemical in between so vermi composts are kind of uh, compost uh, compost that is uh, that is very green and uh, environment friendly and it it can also uh, augment the fertility of the soil so this is in a great demand in the northern part of the Uh, same state with bengal we are talking about baksa tiger reserve and darjeeling kalingpong and all this huge uh, tea garden belt now when i go down to the south south can also have the same problems right uh, first of all uh, uh, chemical intensive uh, agriculture is very bad because anyway the land is salty you are making it even more infertile so generally uh, generally organic fertilizers and organic uh, composting has a demand so if some kind of microfinancing can be done through group based system group based sig system by which uh, people can be motivated to follow green livelihood ventures that can be a very interesting solution because right now people need liquid cash simple right. there is no other option out yeah. they need liquid cash if somebody is uh, say for example has some problem some health issue say somebody is down with covid uh, it is very difficult to treat because they don't they don't have the liquid cash and uh, they have to wait for their land to be sold that's exactly what happened in sundarban people uh, wait to sell their land to get the money to fund someone's uh, illness that has happened i have seen that in front of my eyes when i was working in the field areas because they don't have any liquid cash in hand so liquid ca- cash uh, crunch this needs to be managed immediately through different ventures through maybe 100 days work uh, through maybe uh, different uh, uh, interventions giving them alternate live livelihood options that are not uh, uh, i mean resource exploitative or environment degrading but there are options green livelihood options that are quite promising so this thing can start there can start a cooperative uh, textile industry because uh, actually sundarban uh, has a i will not say a native but it is it is a very interesting uh, kind of block printing uh, design thing that happens in sundarban and it has a little good uh, we call it batik the batik has a good uh, uh, batik prints has a good market uh, yeah. but the problem is again a uh, lot of middlemen in between so these people are batik printing they mainly yeah exactly yeah. so batik printing actually done by women the marginalized women of yeah. the sundarban Uh, so uh, they make it but they cannot go down to the market to sell it they cannot sell it mintra right uh, so not possible for them so yeah. there are lots of middlemen who actually benefit from them these people get very little so there's so exploitation that way um and well i can understand so government that- can come in government can come in there government yeah. can act as a to uh, to so that these people this cooperative societies if you make it a society or a sig based system yeah, because- then because himachal has bhatti ko which works quite yeah. well um so i think sundarban should also work the, right. the state should support them in creating a former collective like yeah um, yeah 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 they are supporting it but more needs to be done because yeah. uh, we are talking about a huge population here 4.6 million so yeah more needs to be done and it needs to be done fast now there is a problem right. uh, maybe state is doing a lot of thing maybe center is doing a lot of thing to help them but when this help actually get to these people they don't require that help anymore that's the problem because of the time lag difference because something will be passed then it is again going to be implemented it will take another one year after one year if you if some relief is going to the people uh, what uh, good it going to do right. not going to do any good right so uh, things need to be done fast the pace of action should increase so that people can get immediate relief right 
Thank you. So to wrap up, like my last question would be to, um, so can you tell us about um, the, the local voices which are talking about these issues and the local politics um, by, the, by the residents of, the native residents of Sundarbans? Um, okay, very interesting. Uh, because I mean, we don't yes. live there and you're not originally from there. You uh -huh, there. Uh -huh. So what do the people who live there say and what are the politics amongst those people and um, how, oh. what do they believe and how do they raise their voice and so on and so forth? Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll give a very interesting case study here that, uh, that, uh, that is recently a problem that is going on in a part of Sundarbans. So, uh, first of all, uh, people are concerned about uh, their uh, Sundarbans has a huge number of NGOs, local NGOs that work. So, I can name uh, three or four, uh, but anyways, there, there are lots of NGOs that work in the area and they really try to bring funds uh, to help the people. And people are rather, it is my opinion of working with them for a long period of time, they are very much cordial to the NGO people, rather more than even the policymakers and the um, IES and IFS officers. Uh, they, are, they really uh, want to work with NGOs because they know that they are going to get some kind of benefit out of it. So uh, this uh, cooperation between third sector is very good. Now here, when I talk about a third sector, indirectly, though the, the problem is not genuinely from Sundarban, but it is uh, impacting Sundarban like any other place of the, in India, the recent amendment that has happened in the FCRA bills and all that has made uh, funding coming to the NGOs and micro NGOs very, very difficult. Now what is happening with the FCRA rule uh, that the funding that is coming from the foreign countries, it cannot be truncated into smaller parts and distributed among uh, smaller NGOs. But we have to understand not all NGOs are like Greenpeace, right? Uh, the local NGOs are small NGOs. They're small NGOs made up of some 5, 10, 15 local people. They don't even have the idea that uh, how they can market their NGO so that they, it can go to that level. So generally, fund used to come from bigger NGOs to the smaller NGO to work in the field. Now with the FCRA amendment, this has become a little difficult that I have uh, talking about my colleagues who are working in different NGOs trying to alleviate the condition of Sundarman. One problem. Next thing that, uh, that first comes to my mind is that people's mindset is also a little uh, fidgety right now. How? I'll give an example. Concrete bonds are going to be formulated, right? In almost uh, all the stretches of uh, both north to south and east to west uh, embankments that are in Sundarman in order to protect it. Now, there are areas where part of the land has gone underwater due to climate change and uh, sea level rise or erosional issues. So a, a farmer who used to have five acres of land now only have three. Now government want to purchase this three acre of land so that they can make this concrete bond. But the farmer wants the compensation for all the five, five acres. This is creating a kind of a policy level problem between uh, policy makers and the uh, farmers who are in the ground level. Right. Because farmers telling that this is also my land that has gone underwater. So I need a compensation for that. They are not wrong in wanting compensation for that. But in case of the policymakers who want to purchase this land in order to create this uh, concrete bonds, uh, they cannot show this extra to two acres because that is underwater. So they cannot give money for that. So this is creating a kind of problem. One of the reasons why concrete bonds are not getting erected and successfully in the Sundarban part. Though this project has been taken almost 10 years back from now. Hmm, interesting, because so in our last in the last episode of Vichars, we spoke about climate refugees, and um, we spoke about um, how there are so many people who are internally displaced and internationally displaced because of droughts and cyclones and natural disasters caused by climate change. Um, and right now, there's a lot of legal um, theorization which people are actively working on to understand. Um, what climate refugees are and what um, is caused by climate change and, and what kind of disasters can be blamed onto climate change and not. So um, taking from that principle, like this is also something you can blame on climate change that we lost two acres. Yes. And because climate change is caused by human activity and state-sponsored activity and biz big business corporations and you know so so on and so forth. I think, don't you think it is fair or I mean it, it opens questions for policy um, 
perspective where you mm. can um to 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 see who you can ask for reparations for climate change right the this is a very big uh, issue if yeah. you look into it from a farmer's angle the farmer is not wrong actually uh, he used to have five acres because he, he has, didn't uh, cause it like it's a mainland it's a main yeah, and he don't yeah. and he don't know to whom to ask this money the only yeah. thing that he know the only one person he can ask the money is the government it's the state correct so high the state so okay so yeah yeah so in that case neither the policy maker is wrong not the farmer is wrong so yeah. there need to be a very strong law that uh, uh, the causal uh, cases of this uh, climate change mostly the big corporation energy corporation oil corporation hydrocarbon uh, a, a farm they should okay. pay the compensation but how to do that that again become a challenge so there's clear need for more legalization and advocacy right for for the right definitely 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 right interesting so um Yeah, that's it. I think. Thank you so much um, Thank for you. giving us Thank your time. You. It was lovely talking to you, sir. Um, it was a very, very insightful conversation.